Hi there, welcome back. This is Logan Grendel, and you have returned to the Focused on Infinity podcast. Today is going to be a question and answer session using questions I received from some friends on Instagram, on which you should follow me if you don't already, at Focused on Infinity, so that you can be included next time I do this. Who knows when that will be, but hey, give it a go. Let's talk about it. I've received a bunch of great questions from one person, so I'm going to start with three of those. They're all related, and they all are in regard to magic and tarot and astrology, all of which I've been promising I would talk about at some point. So now's as good a time as any, I suppose. The questions were sent in by Rebecca A. Thank you, Rebecca. The first is, how and when did you start practicing magic? I've always been an artist, and now art is a big part of my understanding of what magic is, but If we're talking specifically about things that I would call magic now or that one would refer to as magic in the sort of occult way that we usually mean it, I was actually pretty young, sometime around 7th or 8th grade, I don't remember which, but I used to go to a friend's, an older friend, kind of more of a mentor than a friend really, but there was an antique shop right across the street from my house and I used to go by there pretty much every day after school and look at the used books and sometimes buy them when I had money. Sometimes he would just give them to me if they weren't worth much. One time I found a book just called Witchcraft. It was a small book. I'm terrible with sizing without looking at a ruler, but, you know, pretty small book, like maybe five inches by four inches, something like that. And it had a picture of what I believe was probably like the the Baphomet, um, the Elpheus Levy Baphomet. And it looked really gnarly. And at the time, I was just a kid who had begun to question Christianity. And after a life, basically, of, you know, a young life, certainly, but a life so far of having been very, very Christian, it just struck me as so scandalous and, you know, sort of satanic. I didn't really know what Baphomet was or that the meanings behind it were not satanic or even that the the devil creature in the tarot is not really, you know, the Christian devil, but a sort of perversion of the Baphomet which is not at all a devil creature, but the divine androgyne, which basically is like a unification of all these really great things. You know, you have the caduceus, the double snakes, and you have the as above, so below, a lot of occult and hermetic and all kinds of different symbolism that are really important to the world of magic and just sort of to spiritualism and thinking. But definitely nothing about it was purely satanic. But at the time, I didn't know it. And I was just like, hey, this is not going to go over well, so let me get this book and check it out and hide it, obviously, because I don't think that would have gone over well in my uh, Christian household. So I did, and I started reading it and was immediately fascinated by basically everything that was in it. That's where I first learned about the Sator Square, uh, Sator Arapotenet Opera Rotas. Um, Write those five words. Uh, Actually, don't. (laughs) but the long and short of it is I learned a lot from the book and just it talked about everything from herbalism the beginnings of herbalism and protective magic and also some some what would be called black magic and of course since I had no idea what I was doing I was way too curious about it not to try and so I did so I set about casting my first spell on someone after doing some of the other stuff in the book But someone had wronged me in some way, and I'm quite certain that the punishment did not fit the crime. 
So I chose him as the target for a spell. And it was a spell that was intended to give someone a stomach sickness or discomfort in the stomach region centered around that area. And the funny thing was that I told this kid that I was going to cast a spell on him and I literally chased him around the school because he was afraid of me doing it, uh, which at first I found sort of funny. And then much, much later, I, I realized, yeah, that was really not good for me to have done. I cast the spell on him, and I don't know if it was a day or maybe two days later at most, but he was then out of school for two or three days with food poisoning. I don't know to this day whether or not it was me or whether it was a warning from the universe or whether I actually did cast a spell on this kid, and it doesn't really matter much to me. It freaked me out to the point where I got rid of the book myself and then never messed with it again. Cut to... I'm a little bit older and just getting out of high school and going into college. And then I started with some friends of mine discussing magic and recalling some of those old experiences and thinking, hey, I should maybe look back into that again. There was a scare at my college at the time. I went to Hartwick College in Oneonta, New York for the brief time that I did attend college. It was around the time when they were giving everyone credit cards and Basically, it was like the the rapid increase of credit and debt as a way to basically falsely bolster the economy in ways which led to the 2008 crash, which led to the stimulus package that kicked the can down the road. Basically, I think we've been kicking the can down the road, economically speaking, since about the late 90s. But anyway, there was a scare at the college that some sort of greater malefic was coming and that, you know, we had to protect ourselves. And a bunch of friends of mine who knew that I had, I'd started reading about astrology a little bit uh, towards the end of high school, but not much. But for some reason, some of my friends looked to me for some insight into that. So we together did kind of like the first time I can really think of having done a ritual or a spell with some other people, something to protect us from whatever it was. I don't even remember what it was that was supposed to be coming for us at the time. But there it was. And that was the first time I can think of doing spell work with other people, even though it was a very nascent version of it. I was in college for not very long, about a year and a half. And then I left for a number of reasons, um, which maybe I'll talk about some other time. But after I left college, I came back to New York City. And then I really started doing a lot of reading about astrology and started looking into tarot and that kind of stuff. And I got really, really into astrology. I'll talk a little bit more about that later because there's another question related to astrology specifically. So astrology was the, basically the gateway into the greater world of magic and witchcraft. And for a long time after college, I stuck with astrology. And then a friend of mine who is unfortunately no longer a friend, but someone who I still have a lot of positive regard for because they were an important part of my life, even though they are not any longer and shouldn't be. But they introduced me to Thelema and to Aleister Crowley and to that area of the world of magic. And it really, really hit me because really all Thelema is about is about taking everything that's come before it, all the systems of magic, all the religions, all the spirituality, all the knowledge that has come before and synthesizing it into a new system that basically uses the best of all of the above. I really liked that. I actually really recommend that everyone of any stripe, no matter what your spiritual or religious leanings, check out Book 777. What it does is it makes a chart which essentially lines up what each tradition or religion has 
whether it's a god or whatever. And it lines them all up, basically, and says, when this religion says this, what they mean is this. And what it does is it unifies and sort of demystifies the idea of religion from being this sort of piecemeal and extremely separated thing to essentially saying that it is a universal language and we're all just using different words. Well, I guess different languages to say the same thing, right? When in Spanish, someone says, este es un árbol, and in English, we say that's a tree. We understand that we're not saying different things. We understand that we're both trying to indicate that there is a tree in front of us. And it's the same thing with Book 777. And that's one of the reasons that Thelema really captured my attention. And I still call myself a Thelemite, even though I also strongly identify with witchcraft. So sidebar, I had become a very, very staunch atheist. And as I studied astrology, I studied astrology basically from about age 17 or 18 until my late 20s. I actually thought I was going to become an astrologer or something like that. And then I realized there was probably no money in it. So I, I, went, oh, I went with something else for my vocation. But after all that time with astrology and being an atheist, a staunch atheist astrologer, when I finally started learning about Thelema and their constant use of gods, at first I was, I considered myself an atheist, Thelemite, etc., etc. And now atheism isn't even important to me. I don't really care about atheism. And it was basically this one quote that sort of changed my mind on whether to identify as an atheist or not. This is Alistair Crowley from Book 6, Liber O. In this book, it is spoken of the Sephiroth and the paths, of spirits and conjurations, of gods, spheres, planes, and many other things which may or may not exist. It is immaterial whether these exist or not. By doing certain things, certain results will follow. Students are most earnestly warned against attributing objective reality or philosophic validity to any of them. I really like that, and I think about that to this day. I am fairly devout in my witchcraft or practice of the Lima or whatever you want to call it. I do rituals every morning upon awakening, usually before bed and about four times a day. Otherwise, I do sun salutations and things like that. But it doesn't concern me at this point whether or not there are actual gods or what names of the gods I use. Sometimes it's Ra. Sometimes it's the Greek gods. Sometimes it's the Orisha of Yoruba. Whatever it is, it's irrelevant, right? Because I'm talking about a certain energy or a certain thing, whether it's inside myself or outside myself, whatever it is, that is the energy that I'm discussing or calling to or, or whatever. That's the intention I'm looking towards for whatever it is that I'm working on. And whether or not there is a supernatural or fantastic element to any of it doesn't really matter. When I'm doing a sun salutation, I'm basically thinking of how people thought of the sun back in the day, when the sun literally meant life, when there weren't electric lights, when there weren't things to allow you to see in the nighttime, the sun was looked at as a god because it was such an obvious source of light and life. And as a person that is a gardener or, or small scale farmer, I feel no less reverent to the sun than someone back then might have. Without it, whether or not it is supernatural or a deity or whatever, whether or not it is Helios with his steeds dragging the sun across the sky or not, it doesn't matter. What matters to me is that I am super reverent and very thankful for that sun. And I think that reverence and taking things seriously is something that we have gotten away from 
and something that we need to get back to, whatever that means for us individually. There's something about the glibness of our society and the ability to, not only the ability to, but the sort of way that it's actually looked upon as strange to be too earnest or be too serious about things, unless you're, you know, a musician or something like that, in which case, I mean, I think that's one of the reasons that we love music so much and art so much, because even when it does have a hint or an overt amount of of humor to it, there is also a deep earnestness about it. There's a deep care about it. There's a deep even reverence about art. When you see a work of art, you can not only do you see it for what it is, but you also can see the hours of work and thought and love and care that went into it. And that's why another quote of Aleister Crowley's that I love is, all art is magic. So that was a long-winded answer, but I started practicing magic in the way that I do now, probably in my early 30s. So at this point, it's been however long it's been since I was in my early 30s. (laughs) Next question that's very connected. What does tarot and astrology mean to you? Astrology to me is a language. And a big misunderstanding that people have of astrology and people who sort of poo-poo astrology as being nonsense, they think that it's predicated on the idea that the distant stars have anything to do with what is going on on Earth. Now, I have some quasi-scientific ideas about why astrology might work, but those are mostly just for me. Again, it is immaterial why astrology works, with air quotes. Um, Also, just as a side note, astrologers don't believe that the distant stars did anything other necessarily than give the signs their names. What astrology really pays attention to is what is going on in our solar system. It's the interplay of the planets in our solar system and their positions in relation to Earth and to each other, right? So it's not the distant stars that we're concerned with. And there are measurable ways that we know that the moon, for example, affects Earth. So even in the scientific part of the brain that wants to understand things, there is some sort of backing for the idea that the planets could have some effect on Earth. I don't know what that is. I don't know how to measure it. But I do know that astrology as a system and as a language makes a lot of sense. And not only does it make a lot of sense, but it's provable. I don't personally use astrology for divination to tell me exactly what's going to happen or that kind of thing, because it's more useful to me as a tool to understand people and things that might be going on and the ways that people might be feeling at a certain time. It's similar to me as knowing at a certain time of year, this is a time to plant. At a certain time of year, this is a good time to get in shape. To quote the Bible, And also that song that I'm sure uh, a lot of us who are older know, but to everything there is a season and a time to every purpose under the heavens. And astrology is part of the map that helps us look at where we're going and where we are and where we have been even. One of the things I love about the astrology chart, the birth chart, is that it's a super individual look at what our solar system looked like at the time of your birth. It's so individual for each person that that exact configuration will not be duplicated for 4,320,000 years. It's a pretty long time. Uh, And of course, even then, you know, there won't be people. But even if there are people, it would be a whole different situation. So whatever. But astrology in terms of individuals, for me, it is a really great shorthand for some personality traits and characteristics that, again, for whatever reason, do seem to line up right? If you're a fire sign, there's a good likelihood 
that you are a little bit more impulsive or impetuous and also a little bit more focused on yourself and notions of identity and of ego and that kind of thing. And that doesn't mean that you will behave in a particular way. It just means that those will probably be big factors in the course of your life. But the other thing that's important to know is that most of us have heard about astrology just from the horoscopes in the newspaper. Uh, no one reads newspapers anymore. <laughs> what am I talking about? But the horoscopes that you'll see. And horoscopes are based on what I call the one in 12 fiasco, because your chart is so individual that you really need to look at it in order to really get a glimpse into what your personality is like as that sun sign. Now, as far as the sun sign is concerned, cusps aren't really a thing, but there are two planets that are never very far away from the sun that also are very determinative in very personal things about you. And usually, if your birthday is at the start or the end of a sign, Mercury and Venus will be in the sign before or after, respectively. So you'll have more influence coming in from the other side of that line. But the sun is where the sun is. Every planet is where that planet is. But anyway, not to get too wonky into it, but when you actually look at your individual chart, the placement of everything in your chart is what creates the extremely unique picture of you, of the personality and set of characteristics that is you. And so you could be an earth sign, but have tons and tons of influence from air. So you'll be much more gregarious and talkative and intellect-based than the average earth sign. So before you write off astrology, actually look at your birth chart. Get someone who knows something about astrology, or even just plug it into astro.com and look at, they have an AstroClick portrait feature, which basically is you plug in your birth time, your time, location, uh, and it needs to be exact. It needs to be, you know, to the minute, if possible, when you were born. Um, ask your mom or check your birth certificate. And then you go in and you basically click around on the different aspects and planets and stuff you'll see. You probably won't understand it at first, but just click around and it will give you, based on those lines and things that you'll see, a little blurb about each thing. And if you take all the blurbs and kind of put them together in your head, it will come out to a relatively exact portrait of you as a human being. It's pretty interesting and sometimes it's alarming or frightening or sometimes it makes me even irritable the way that I feel called out by it. But it's a very, very useful tool for recognizing yourself. And one of the reasons it's such a great tool is because it doesn't necessarily tell you anything you don't already know, but it gives you a language for it. And it gives you a way to discuss it quickly and also a way to discuss it in your forebrain. And sometimes you can have an idea about something swirling in your head, but until it gets put into words in a certain way, it's, it's harder to really fully access that, the knowledge of what that means to you and for you. So I highly recommend just trying it out. Just try it out. If you don't like it, you can just throw the whole thing out. But as a tool for understanding yourself and others, I think it is absolutely invaluable. Another great thing is it also helps you to understand people that you don't get along with or that you don't naturally jibe with. Because even though there's tons of cliches and we all know that it takes all kinds of people and everybody's different, et cetera, et cetera. But you know what? Some days it's just really hard to understand why people do what they do. 
I mean, I'm a double earth sign, so I frequently have questions about why people's motivations seem so silly or frivolous or just unconnected with reality. And conversely, I'm sure people think of me that I'm a bit basic in the way that I think about things. But what's really important is that it allows you to look at other types of people and other characteristics and sort of see things from their point of view. It expands your knowledge and understanding of your fellow humans. And understanding someone's motivations, especially when they are totally different from yours, helps you to communicate with people and also, most importantly, to have compassion for them. To be able to understand why they just have to do things differently than you. Why they have to do things the way that they're supposed to do them. Because we're all interconnected and, we all, and we're all a part of the universe expressing itself, to use a kind of woo statement. But, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, everyone has to be who they are. And if they're not, that's when they will feel crappy and out of alignment and also be the worst versions of themselves. That's when people are behave in the most unevolved ways is when they're trying to be someone that they're not and do things that they are not supposed to be doing or for which they are not suited. And it also helps to free yourself from guilt about things about yourself. What it should not be is an excuse to do whatever you want to because that's, that is unfortunately a way that some people use it. As if to say, you know, because I am a Gemini, I am allowed to just talk all the time and not listen to anyone else. Astrology is not meant to be an excuse. It's meant for you to understand yourself and other people and be the best version of yourself. Not just be yourself, but the best version of what that is. Astrology is also in music and art and literature, and it's woven so deeply into every society's way of looking at the world for thousands of years that not knowing astrology, not understanding astrology, not having at least a conversant knowledge of astrology, you're just straight up missing out. It's not even just that astrology in and of itself is interesting. It's like why you should read Shakespeare. You shouldn't read Shakespeare just because Shakespeare's cool or because it's fun or because it's, you know, that well-written, but it helps you to understand so many other tropes and ideas and little Easter eggs, basically, that are put into so many different kinds of art and in books and all kinds of things. The short answer, astrology means to me a baseline way of understanding humans and the world and emotions and the way that we as a species interact with each other within and without, deeply and glibly. But it's a language that helps us to understand all these things, and a language that is fuller and deeper than philosophy, a language that is more potent than simple personality tests and assessments. It touches everything. And it also does have some really, really interesting things. When you get deeper into aspects and things like that that recur in charts between people, it can tell you even some really specific pinpoint things about your own life. And it's just a great tool. Do recommend. Try it out. Now let's talk about what tarot means to me. Tarot is an entirely different tool, but what it does have in common with astrology is that tarot is also worked into a lot of art and literature. I start with the writer, the Smith writer, weight, deck, uh, it's called a number of different things, but it's that one that I'm talking about. There are many great and wonderful and beautiful decks and some that, in fact, I think even slightly improve upon the original, but keep the symbology of the original intact, which I think is important because I believe that it's inspired. It's inspired by the divine, whatever you want to call it. It's just really, really well done. Everything that's in each card is supposed to be there and mean something. But for me, tarot is not understanding directly in the same way that astrology is. Tarot is a little bit more about surrender. It's about taking these cards, which also represent 
a different, each card represents a different facet of life, a different topic, a different thing that might be happening, a different way we might be feeling, et cetera, et cetera. And it also deals with, like astrology does, the sort of four worlds of existence. So there is a lot of overlap there. And in fact, each card has some kind of connection to astrology. So once you learn both, it actually opens up an entire new world of connection and a deeper understanding of the two. But for the tarot itself, one of the things it allows you to do is just sort of go to that place in your mind where you're like, I am looking for an answer to something that I know, that I already know, or that I sort of have an idea about, but I just need a little bit of guidance. It's basically a way to ask for guidance from the gods, from the divine, from the universe, from the great sky turtle, whatever you want to call it. It's a little bit of surrender. And it's surrender that sometimes we need. Because the idea that we're supposed to know everything and think of everything logically and be able to understand everything is, I think, one of the great conceits of our era. And it's extremely detrimental to our connection with each other. Because there are a lot of things that are not meant to be understood point for point. And in fact, the number of things we do understand as humans point for point is pretty small. Tarot is a way of basically consulting with both yourself and with the external divine. It's the as within, so without thing. And again, it is immaterial whether or not it's all chance or whether or not it is actually the hand of the divine guiding you to pick certain cards. That doesn't matter. If you are able to look at it and surrender for a second and just go, okay, this is, I'm setting my intention. I'm going to be really serious and earnest about this thing that I want to know, that I need to know. And I'm just going to give up ego for a second and just let this thing guide me. And I'm going to respect the answer that I get from it. So the tarot is basically a way of communicating with oneself. As odd as it might seem to some, I'm going to use a Bible verse to explain what I think is really important about the tarot, and also to a lesser degree astrology and to magic in general. It's from Proverbs, and it says, Lean not unto thine own understanding, be not wise in thine own eyes. Now, taking the the Judeo-Christian stuff out of that, sometimes it's really important to understand that you don't know, and you don't understand, and you don't have control. You just don't. So much of life is is luck, and my friends are probably tired of hearing me say this, but life is lived at the intersection of choice and chance. You make the best choices you can in every situation, and then luck or fate or whatever is going to have its way with you. So if you don't make good choices, you're going to have a hard, I mean, you could still get by on luck, but you won't do as well as if you had also made good choices. And sometimes you'll make all the good choices in the world, and you'll get hit on the head with a piano like you're a Looney Tunes cartoon. But it's important sometimes as a practice and to sort of deepen what I consider strength of spirit to sometimes just give it away and go, you know what, I don't, I don't understand what's coming. I don't know what's coming. Let me just ask, you know, let me just throw this out there and just ask someone else, something else, and also myself, what's going to happen, but without guiding it with my basically ego brain, because it doesn't matter whether or not it's ISIS that is going to guide your cards. It doesn't matter. What matters is from a practical standpoint, and I guess it's funny to be talking about a practical standpoint for something so arcane, but from a practical standpoint, the most important thing is that you have to practice surrender in order to really be a full human. Sometimes you have to understand that the outcome is not in your control. And that's actually both terrifying and freeing right? Because the outcome is not in your control, that actually makes it easier for me 
not to just say, well, well, fuck it. But it actually makes it easier for me to say, you know what, I've got to do everything I can do. And hopefully things will align so that I'm ready for whatever fate throws at. Because just assuming that everything is going to happen by fate is nonsense. And in tying both tarot and astrology to magic, one of my favorite definitions of magic with a K is that magic is the science and art of causing change to occur in conformity with will. It's basically aligning yourself and doing everything in your power to generate the outcome you seek. So it's aligning yourself and doing things to take what you can control to align with the things that you cannot control to essentially form reality to your will. The word thelema, it just means will. It's basically about attuning yourself and knowing what the best ways to attune yourself to will are. Using symbols and ideas and things which have essentially throughout history been shown to generate certain outcomes, right? When you're talking about water, you're working with the world of emotions. So if that's what you're looking to, if that's what you're looking to align yourself with, it helps to just use a bit of water or something in the water element. If you're working with ideas, that's air. If you're working with action, that's fire. If you're working with the practical or with money, that's earth. So aligning yourself with those forces, for some reason, seems to help the universe itself, the world, your life, conform to your will. That which you are desiring as an outcome. That which you not just desire loosely, but that which you know to be what you should be doing. Side note, people, a lot of people, I think, especially those who have grown up with Christian thinking, really, really mistake what the term do what thou wilt means. Do what thou wilt does not mean do what you want. It doesn't mean do whatever you feel like. It doesn't mean whim. It says wilt. That's will. Will is a much stronger thing than whim, right? Will is actually a deep, deep force in each person that you use to overcome your circumstances and to and to create the things around you in your life that you want to see. And that's everything. Now, if you're asking me, do I light a bunch of candles and dance around in circles and, and do that kind of thing? Yes, yes, I do. But I don't just do that, right? What you have to also do is you have to do the work. If you want a certain outcome and you just light a candle and sit in your room, nothing's going to happen. But if you do the work and then you do some reverence and you light that candle and you focus your intention on it, you are more likely to get the outcome you seek. And I don't know why that is, but it is. And I'm okay with not knowing why it works like that. It's a lot different from the Judeo-Christian notion of God, where it's all about some external force that is giving you all the power and has all the power and that you have no control over anything. It's quite the opposite. And I think that's one of the reasons that witchcraft and Thelema and other systems have been so thoroughly demonized by Christianity especially, but are at odds with Judeo-Christian religions. And that's because even though it is also reverence to that which is outside of your control, the gods, etc., it's also about being very, very strong about what is in your control and aligning everything that is in your control, everything from your surroundings to your habits to your thought process, whatever it is. It's about mastering yourself so that you attain the favor of the great sky turtle, right? It's about the union of the self and the divine and all the energies of it, the masculine energies, the feminine energies, the, the Venusian energies, the Mars energies, all the, those energies, whatever it is. And, and when you combine all these different systems, what it comes to is this sort of wonderful soup 
of just understanding and it just helps you get a grip on different things you're dealing with in life. So tarot and astrology to me are the baseline tools for understanding oneself, understanding the world, and also practicing magic. All magic is, it's changing reality through force of will. So I think that's good for that question. (laughs) I'm clearly not going to get to all the questions that I have. I'm going to do one more question and then that will be it for today. Another great question from the same source. Tell us about how you experience the intersection of politics, magic, and social activism. My favorite new quote of my own is, Witchcraft without activism is cosplay. Witchcraft without activism is just cosplay. It's one thing to have spiritual and religious practice, but if you're not actually putting that into effect, if you're not actually doing anything with that in the world, then what are you doing? It's just a game, right? Politics, magic, and social activism, to me, are sort of all the same thing. It's all about the expression of my will. And part of my will is that I want the world to be a better place. I want to leave everything better than I left it. I want to spread more love and more knowledge and in turn receive more love and more knowledge from the world around me. I want to align myself with my deepest beliefs. And I want to help other people to do that as well because I find that when everybody is operating at their best, everything goes better. Everyone is better. Everyone's happier. The word politics is a sort of poisoned well. The word politics is very strange for some people and it just, when when people say politics, what they mean is electoral politics and the way that our government works or does not. Um, Hello, no impeachment. Which, if you go back a few episodes to my impeachment episode, I did say that it was not going to happen and that we shouldn't pay attention to it. But anyway, what politics is supposed to be, and what a lot of people don't think, is that there always will be politics. There needs to be politics. Politics is just the interplay between social creatures and us deciding what kind of world we're going to have and, and what the rules for making that world are going to be. Who's going to help us adjudicate things? Who's going to adjudicate what? Who's going to do this? Who's going to do that? And what are the ethics and morals, et cetera, et cetera, under which we live? And what are the tools that we have for enforcing those morals and or ethics? That's what politics really means. And that's what social activism really is. There should not be a divide between politics and activism. All politicians should be activists. When you think about politicians, when you think about who you're going to vote for or who you're going to support, Look to the activists, right? Not to the lawyers, not to the petty ideologues. Look to people who actually care about something so much that they want to make it their life's work, whatever it is. There should never have been a divide between social activism and politics. They should be one and the same at all times because that's what, it, that's what politics is, in essence. And the apathy that has sort of been engendered by viewing politics as something external to us is not new. Coming all the way down from from feudalism and the divine right of kings and us not having any control over who gets to lead us, that's still, in essence, the way that some of us think about politics. And I mean people at every stage of the game, right? You have religious conservatives who believe that God is in charge and certain people are ordained by God to rule us. Well, that's exactly the same thing as feudalism. But then again, you also have liberals who believe that there are some people who are smarter than the rest of us and should be leading us for that reason. I mean, that's essentially the same thing, but it's, but it's based on who's the smartest rather than who is ordained by God, right? It's not based on who cares the most. And then you have people who just don't really care about politics and think that it is irrelevant because they feel disenfranchised from governing their own life. And those people are also woefully mistaken. 
whatever it is that we're talking about, what we are really talking about is who cares and who will do, who has the knowledge and the heart behind their actions. That's the person that should lead in each category. But the other thing is that we're not giving away our power. We should never, ever seek to give away our power to anyone because we only get this one existence as far as anybody knows. Maybe there's reincarnation, but that's immaterial because we will not know about that in the same way that we understand the life that we have right now. So politics and social activism are one and the same. And on the same token, magic, by the definition that I gave a little bit before, magic is getting the world around you to conform to your will. Well, that also sounds like politics to me, right? What greater magic is there than getting a bunch of people on your block to decide, hey, let's all put together some money and get some new garbage cans because there's rats running up and down the block and I don't want rats running up and down my block. You've taken a thought out of your head and you have worked through works and also you're going to need some luck if you're dealing with a bunch of different people with different ideas, but it is getting the world to act in conformance with your will. It is politics, it is social activism, and it is indeed magic because the end goal will be that your street now has no rats. There is and should be no difference between magic and life, politics and life, social activism and life. It's all different ways of approaching it mentally or even strategically, but it's all the same thing. Every action we take is in some way just guiding the world in as many ways as we can to the world that we want it to be, to the things that we want to see. One of the reasons that Crowley especially says that art is magic is that art changes the world so much more than some more specific and direct actions. Like, you could talk to somebody all day about how you're anti-war, or you could go and sit in front of Picasso's Guernica for a long time and just look at it and just feel it. You can have a long discussion or a big meeting. You can tell somebody about the dangers of getting involved in the military and the way that it really changes and damages people or you could just have them listen to, say, Hero of War by Rise Against, and in four minutes, have them understand deeply exactly what you mean, much more than an ocean of words. But you could also write them a haiku, 17 syllables, that if correctly constructed and done with the right heart, and side note, magic is science, and science is magic, the two of them go hand in hand together right? Because your, your command of the language that you're using to communicate the emotions, when you combine the technical with the emotional, that's when you get something really great, right? And that is also, to me, a description of, of what magic is. But it's just stronger. And it's not just because the words are so great, but also there is the unspoken magic of the time that you put into something, of the sweat equity, of the work that went into it of the love that you put into a work of art. There's just something about certain works of art when you really can tell how much the artist cared about that thing, about creating that thing. Everything, songs and books and, and paintings, all of it. All art combines the intellectual with the emotional, with the action, and with the science behind creating it. Whether it's understanding how best to apply the paint how best to combine the colors, the understanding of light and shading that is required. 
all those things have to come together in order to create a perfect work of art that can, in fact, change the world. I believe I said on another episode, one of my favorite forms of magic is just talking. Communication, like this podcast, I'm getting amorphous ideas, just a soup in my head, and I just open my mouth and I move around some air and bam, I open my mouth and I speak to you and you come to understand things that just exist in my head as ideas. And maybe they will inspire something in you that will cause you to look further into it or do more in your your own life. And I certainly hope it will. But magic is everything. And a brief, brief note on politics. Everything's important. Don't yuck anybody's yum when it comes to politics, unless they're talking about just not participating. That's the only thing that I think is unconscionable. Because if you don't participate in any way, then you are not asking reality to conform to your will. You are not getting what you should be getting for yourself from the world around you and the only life you will ever have to live. Some people only believe that a violent revolution is going to ever bring us what we want. Okay, then work towards that, but work towards it. And of course, I have to make the disclaimer that I'm not advocating violence, blah, blah, blah. You know what I mean. If you believe that people are supposed to be governing us and you would like to otherwise not pay that much attention, I don't agree with you at all. But at very least, work hard to make sure the right people are in charge. And if they're not, work like hell to get them out of there. Don't ever surrender the one life you have, to any force outside of yourself that you do not want to see. Because you know what? One of the things that we all have to do is play the role we are intended to play in this life. And I strongly believe that none of us are intended to merely be passive observers, are intended to just be subject to the wind and waves without making a splash, without diverting a breeze every now and again, to varying degrees. Not everyone is supposed to be a pope. I think there should not be popes. I said it. Yes, there should not be popes. The Vatican has so much stolen money and art. Like, what a perversion of what I think is truly beautiful about religion and spirituality. It's a wealthy organization that is worth billions of dollars with art stolen from all over the world. So much wealth that could be helping the people of the world. And that tells you what it's really all about. Because... They're not using that to help the people of the world. So beware of false magic. And as much as some people will get mad at me for saying this, most of the religion that we have grown up with is false magic. And most of the things that have been derided as witchcraft and occult, that's where the real magic is. That's, where the re- that's what we're really supposed to be doing with our spirituality. We're supposed to be giving that love and reverence to the to the sky and to the wind and to each other, to the things that give us life. We're supposed to love and enjoy. We're supposed to be doing all these things that we have been taught are sinful. But to me, the greatest sin is not fully exploring yourself and not fully exploring your heart and your mind and the world around you and your body. So the short answer is my experience of the intersection of politics, magic, and social activism is that they are all different shades of the exact same thing. They're all tools for us working our will on the world, with each other, for ourselves, and for others. Maybe you're not the kind of person that's into rituals or dancing around in the forest naked. That's cool. You don't got to do that. But add a little more ritual to your life. Be reverent to the sun. Why not? We would literally not be here were it not for the sun. What's the problem with giving up a little ego? And saying, I am truly, truly grateful 
for all the wonderful things that make up the world I live in. And conversely, I am deeply appalled by the things that make this life hard and horrendous for others and for myself. And I will work my will against them in every way that I am able. That's all that magic is. Now, there are some rituals and there are some things that you can do to align more with certain things. And I highly recommend that you develop some of those. Here's the homework for this episode. More homework. Get a candle. Just one candle. Think about something that you really, really want. Start with a white candle. White candles are good for everything. Find a quiet place and a quiet time. And it doesn't have to be for a very long time. It could be five minutes. It could be 10 minutes. Whatever it is. I want you to hold the candle and think about something that you really, really want to do or to see. Whatever it is. Something that you're thinking about. Some healing that you want something that you want to come into your life, whatever it is. But hold the candle and really, really think about what you want that to look like. And maybe you don't know. Maybe you're going to use it to ask for a little guidance, whatever it is. But just take five minutes in reverence to all the things that are outside of your control. Set the candle up safely, of course. Don't burn your house down. Light it and just sit there and breathe for a while. Let your mind wander. Let your mind come back. Whatever it is that your brain wants to do, whether it wants to be focused on the thing or if it just wants to wander around, whatever it is, but let that candle burn for a good, good long time. And when you blow it out, be certain that you're going to get the outcome you seek. Be certain that you're going to get the outcome you're looking for. And when you blow it out, get up and get to work in the real world. I guarantee you that if you do that more often, more of the things that you're looking for in the world will happen. It's worked for me. And I guess that's about all I can say about that. Thank you for following along with this episode. And thank you again, Rebecca, for the great questions. I, I have been looking to do an episode on magic. And with just those three questions, I think I covered what would be a great introduction to, to the way that I think about magic and to the way that I think we all should be thinking about magic in the future. Please do follow me on Instagram if you don't at Focused on Infinity, on Twitter, at Watcher Infinite. And if you have any questions in the interim, feel free to drop me a line at focusedoninfinity at gmail.com. Thanks again for listening. And for now, Grendel out.